Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. And Essie Ramirez. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Lainey. Uh, I'm so glad you've joined us today. We have a very exciting episode of Editors Unedited, where you hear a little behind the scenes for the editor-author relationship. And today I want to introduce Tara Parsons, Vice President, Associate Publisher of Harper Villa, Amistad, and Harper Espanol. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much, Lainey. I'm so happy to be here with you and all of your listeners, and of course, the brilliant author of Woman Eating, Claire Coda. Hello, Claire. Hi. <laughs> so Lainey, um, I want to tell all of your listeners here a little bit about Claire's book. I actually uh, preempted uh, Woman Eating during the first COVID Thanksgiving. And since I'm permanently living in March 2020, it feels like just yesterday that it happened. But now we're almost here to publication day on April 12th. It's pretty rare to preempt a novel over holiday weekend, but that's how original and brilliant Claire's book is. As Library Journal just wrote in their starred review, Woman Eating is a delicate, consistently surprising riff on the vampire narrative and a stealthy, subversive story of one young woman's declaration of self. I think they really nailed it with that review. Uh, Woman Eating was also sold in a heated film auction to Heyday Films. They're responsible for huge Hollywood blockbusters like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Gravity, Marriage Story, and of course, the Harry Potter movies. Uh, Claire, can you kick us off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself and describing Woman Eating? Um, yep. Um, first, though, I want to just say I didn't even realize it was Thanksgiving when you preempted the book <laughs> to me it was just a weekend um, which was unusual in itself um and I actually um I'd like had a few glasses of wine because I thought that everyone would be off for the weekend so I was like okay well I can like finally relax it's the weekend um and I then that came through and I was like oh no Sam but I've like had wine I'm not thinking like <laughs> completely straight um but I had no idea it was Thanksgiving I found out later and I felt really bad that you'd been working on Thanksgiving oh no but... it was like it was the bright light of my Thanksgiving <laughs> But also I felt bad that I had missed Thanksgiving, so I hadn't actually said anything to you, you know, it was just like happy Sunday to me, but yeah, anyway, your question. Um, I'm not very good at describing myself, I think, um, partly because, oh, I'm always changing, like everyone's always changing, obviously, um, and I feel like I'm a different person to the person that wrote the book, you know? Um, so I guess in like very broad strokes, I am a professional violinist, um, 
and I review books um, for various publications and usually the books are either like fiction from or non-fiction on East Asian countries um, and a lot of literature from Japan specifically in translation. Um, and uh, yeah, I was raised by the sea um, on the southeast coast of England. Um, and yeah, what else can I say about that? I mean, my house was just, it was, I had such a lovely childhood. My my parents are just, um, like my dad's an artist and my mom is an amazing cook and the house was just like full of amazing food and really great art all the time um, to the extent that the house itself was kind of like a piece of art so we drew on the walls and we drew on the tables and um, yeah it, it was yeah lovely um so that's me and woman eating is my first book um and I didn't expect like to be doing anything like this I didn't really know that this was like part of the process so like getting to talk to librarians and booksellers and book clubs has just been like such a lovely surprise. And um, I, I didn't think I'd get to kind of connect with the people doing all the hard work to get the book out there, you know? So this is just like such such a lovely honor. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's been really lovely. Um, okay, so the hard part is describing the novel. And I think I struggle to describe it partly because it's like, it's about quite a few things, um, but in essence, Woman Eating is, um, it's about a vampire um, who has just moved to London, where she's living on her own for the first time in her life, away from her mum, and she is in her early 20s, she's mixed race, English, Japanese and Malaysian, um, and she's trying to become an artist. And uh, I would say that Lydia is fairly unprepared for life, let's say. Um, <laughs> she's, you know, she's, um, she's kind of naive in a way, like she wants to be an artist and she almost feels like uh, if she just gets an artist studio and moves in, then like life will just kind of make sense and like, you know everything will come together but it's obviously not that simple and um throughout the novel she's she's living in her artist studio which she isn't meant to do um she's interning at um a gallery and she's undervalued not paid um and predated on there and um yeah and the most important thing is that she really struggles to find pig's blood um which is the thing that you know sustains her um she doesn't eat humans and she doesn't want to um for ethical reasons that sounds really silly but <laughs> accurate um yeah so she struggles to find pig's blood and a central part of the book i guess is her just getting increasingly more and more hungry and um yeah, I'd say a central part of the book is also human food, um, which she is completely obsessed with and she can't eat it. So um, I think with Lydia, she sees human food as kind of the thing that's missing from her life, like the thing that like if she if she had it in her life, she'd be able to understand her cultural identity 
her human father. She'd be able to understand things like friendship and family, which she can't understand um, fully. Um, and uh, yeah, and another, I guess, central part of the novel is um, her isolation. So she's very isolated. Um, and the novel is like very grounded in reality. Lydia and her mom are the only vampires in the book. Um, so Lydia, I think really feels like she's different and kind of essentially foreign to everyone. Uh, really, I saw like an opportunity to explore certain things through the figure of the vampire. So um, Lydia was turned into a vampire as a baby and she's known like no different life. You know, she was she was bitten like a few days after she was born. And for me, that made her interesting just because the vampire you know as this mythical figure it's it's um it's this creature that's like inherently divided you know it's like uh it retains its human body you know so uh even like dracula you know he's he's a human on the outside you know um he's got human memories but he's gained this demonic appetite it felt like the perfect opportunity to kind of explore the feeling of being divided between different things, like between multiple cultures, for example, but also between like extroversion and introversion and uh, powerfulness and powerlessness and um, invulnerability and vulnerability. And uh, yeah, and being a predator and being the victim of a human predator as well is kind of a central thing. Um, yeah, that's what it's about, I hope. I did it justice. <laughs> I love how you described it, Claire. And I think it really hits on what I was so attracted to when I read your pages, because it wasn't like anything I'd ever received before or that I'd read before. And that is so shocking and, uh, um, uh, you know, in the publishing world, right? I see hundreds of books, sometimes hundreds a week. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, and sometimes it's like, you know, you, you, to stand out in a crowd, it can be kind of difficult. And I think what you've done so amazingly in this book is that you can read the book on the surface. On the surface, it's this incredibly compelling story about a young, vampire who doesn't want to eat people and she's you know is she romantically interested or does she want to eat this young man <laughs> like you know there's so many um layers of the book that just by its suspenseful nature and just by the things happening in the book propel you forward and even like you're writing about some pop culture elements in it too and so you can read those on the surface, but there's so many deeper layers and intricacies and meanings to this book, particularly for, for me as a, as a um, half Japanese woman that I was so drawn to. And one of my favorite memories actually of, of when we first started talking and exchanging emails um, was when we started talking about our Japanese heritage and we live in different countries. We've had like very different experiences growing up, but it was really fun to see how some of the experiences related to each other and what pieces of your life and your experiences you took in to your main character. And I'm wondering if you can tell um, the listeners of this podcast a little bit more about that. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I loved that too. <laughs> it was so nice um, just talking about like our, our experiences and um, especially the things that overlapped. Like you say, like we're living in different countries and there were things that we had in common that I don't have in common with most of my friends in England, you know? So, and I guess that's the interesting thing about being mixed race. It's like, it's such a unique experience to not be the same race as either of your parents, you yeah. know? And it's kind of, um, in a sense, I, I would say it's lonely, but then that I feel like is, is too negative um, because I think also there's something really amazing about difference. Yeah, it, it's it's just having that kind of difference between um, you and your parents is just, it's like, it means I think that when you meet people who are also mixed race, it's almost like you're meeting family. Um, and you just connect immediately. And that is, is, it was really lovely talking to you about all of that. One thing, I mean, food is really central, you know, to the book. And um, obviously from the title, I think you can partly tell that as well. Um, and a lot of my life has been defined by food. It sounds really strange, but I think when you have a parent who is an immigrant, that is often the case. Um, and so when I was growing up, um, my family didn't have much money, so we couldn't afford to go to Japan. Um, I went maybe when I was four, I think once, um, and I don't remember anything about it really. Um, but one of the things that really defined my childhood was that my mum helped me connect with my Japanese identity through food. And I have so many memories of, um, food with my mom and her teaching me like how to make gyoza um, and teaching me how to do all the little crinkles um, and then later on uh, me and my mom teaching my partner Tom how to make gyoza you know it's like this oh. there are so many like uh, like family and social activities around food um, and also she like taught me how to slurp when eating ramen which I still find really hard to do but <laughs> <laughs> I remember us sitting across the table from each other and um, seeing who could slurp the loudest and she won. But, um, and then my Japanese family were like so wonderful. You know, I didn't get to see them much at all, but, you know, they I really felt their love from across the world because they sent food to me. Like they sent like so many things for me to try, like so many different flavors, all of their favorite foods, like, you know, I'd learned so much about them because I was being sent their favorite sweets from childhood and stuff. And it was just, um, the best yeah. is that, that holiday box, right? Yeah, Where it's exactly. all the rice crackers <laughs> and the sweet treats and like the gelatin, um, yeah. <laughs> and every now and then they send me like a weird, like, like device. Like I remember one year when I was in high school, <laughs> it was something where you could like electrocute your, yourself into like, um a better face I don't know fun devices I get a lot of stationery um yes. and stickers and um 
Yeah, a lot of like rubbers, which I think you call erasers. Yes. Um, in America, um, in like actually often in the shape of different foods. Um, but yeah, I think food was and is so important to me just because it's how I connect to Japan. And now I get to go like a lot more frequently. Um, but really like in every bite, I felt like I was connecting to my family, you know? Um, and so I guess food in a way has been like, almost like an education, though that sounds too formal, but like an education in like my Japanese heritage and uh, my family as well. Um, and I guess in a way it's been a kind of home. Like I don't really feel like I have a home necessarily in Japan because I've not been there very much, but in all the food, I get that sense of home, you know? Um, so food's been such a big part of me finding my identity. And with Lydia, um, you know, she's a vampire. Um, she can't eat human food and she can't have those experiences. Um, she can't explore her culture through food. Um, and that to me is it like, is really sad, um, but really interesting as well. So, um, you know, food's so much about like cultural exchange. It's about like sharing, it's about gathering together, it's socializing, you know, it's, and it's also like so much to do with like nourishing yourself and like self-love, you know, um, it's like a type of communication and, and with Lydia kind of, it was like, what would it be like to take this away from someone who's mixed race, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of partly the genesis of, of Lydia. Um, and, you know, it's something that actually all vampires share in common, but it's, it's not something we actually think about when we think of the vampire, you know, we think of them being like immortal, or we think of them being really powerful or like, you know, having bloodlust or like living in like a, a gothic mansion or, you know, wearing a cape or something. Um, but what I found really interesting is that they're missing this like really big part of life, which is food um, and food, not just for sustenance, but food for all those other things, you know, um, self-care and finding your identity and stuff. And, and so, yeah. Cool so, too. Yeah, right? exactly. as a way of even just socializing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I remember reading some of your descriptions, and we talked about this a little. My my father can't eat because of a medical condition he has, and he used to be able to. Mm -hmm. And I I know that, like I I you know, but he's so stoic; he doesn't talk about it very much. And your book made me think of like, oh my god, the the things that he's missing and the things that he remembers or fantasizes about and how much how interesting it is that nobody ever talks about that within the vampire mythos when it's it's like this crucial part of how we live as human beings you know how we how we communicate with others and learn things about ourselves and just have mm -hmm. sustenance through food yeah exactly I mean there are so many of my Japanese relatives who I can really kind of barely communicate with because my Japanese isn't great um but we've cooked for each other you know and we've like yeah. eaten together and like that like that's kind of all you need mm -hmm. um and Lyd can't do that 
so um which it makes the book sound really sad but um <laughs> and in a way like it is sad but I did get to have like you know some fun with that too like the idea of like a vampire looking at like what I eat in the day videos you know or like um uh Instagram cooking videos and like the Korean vegan you know on her phone um and memorizing like recipes and stuff like I there's something kind of inherently funny about that but also like a little bit tragic but <laughs> it's like it there's dark humor all throughout your pages <laughs> and it's so funny because you're reading and first of all you're really grip I mean the pages turn so fast and then all of a sudden it hits you wow there's a lot of layer to what I just read but also this part is very funny like I I did there are moments where I really laughed and even like the Buffy the vampires <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like I mean there's so many pieces there's so much texture to your book I mean yeah I, the, the the idea of her watching Buffy came really early because I was actually watching Buffy at the time um I was re-watching Buffy and I have never really been into vampires you know I I don't I, I can't say I'm like a fan of vampire literature mainly because I've not read any um but Buffy's always been a big part of my life you know I, I grew up watching Buffy and uh, we were re-watching it over the pandemic and um, yeah it's we were I think in season two when I started writing Women Eating and then like season four or five when I finished so I can actually like <laughs> if I rewatch <laughs> Buffy now I can actually like chart when Woman Eating was written in the series um, but yeah the idea of her watching Buffy came really um, early on just um, just the idea of like her seeing this depiction of vampires and you know just kind of the reality of her life being so different to what was on screen and um, yeah just I loved the idea of her just kind of you know doing nothing a lot of the time you know like how we all do just doom scrolling and lying especially during the pandemic exactly <laughs> I mean it really is I actually want to read a quote out loud because I think it perfectly encapsulates um what's so magical about your book where and and actually I also want to point out you know this is this is a piece of praise in addition to you know, you have that star review from Library Journal. You've been named a Publishers Weekly writer to watch. You received rave reviews from Glamour, the BBC, and you're just about on every most anticipated list so far. And of course, your book is not even publishing till April. So it's pretty incredible. But my favorite quote is definitely the first one you received from Ruth Ozeki, the author of A Tale for the Time Being and the Book of Form and Emptiness, who is, you know, just a legend. And she wrote, absolutely brilliant, tragic, funny, eccentric, and so perfectly suited to this particularly weird time. Claire Coda takes the vampire trope and makes it her own in a way that feels fresh and original. Serious issues of race, disability, misogyny, body image, sexual abuse are handled with subtlety, insight, and a lightness of touch. And the novel is ridiculously suspenseful. I was on the edge of my seat, just waiting for Lyd to bite someone. And in the end, I felt utterly and happily bitten. I mean, what an incredible quote. And I think it really encapsulates the book and it's so rare to see that 
And I can see that she was such a huge fan of your pages and really read them closely. Um, anyway, so my question here is twofold. How do you feel about all these different reviews coming in and their interpretations of your work, which I think range quite a bit from the surface level reading to a much more intellectual reading of your book? And, you know, you know, did you set to write out this book intentionally with a lens into those topics or or did that just sort of come in inherently through through the story? Um, OK, so first, um, I love Ruth's description of the book so much, and it's so nice to hear it read out loud as well. Um, I just. I feel so lucky that she like even just read the book, let alone like enjoyed it so much. Cause I mean, for someone like me, like I I really love her writing. Like I really love it. Um, especially her most recent book, The Book of Form and Emptiness, which is um essentially, I mean, it's like a love letter to like books and libraries and it's oh, it's just so beautiful. Um but yeah, like Ruth kind of she she made a space in literature for people like me to exist you know and to explore mixed identities um and I'd say like her writing gave me a lot of confidence to explore being mixed race um and of being part Asian specifically through writing and to also I mean that kind of in itself was a part of why I was able, I think, to uh, look at something like a vampire from a kind of non-Western specific viewpoint. Um, and, you know, this vampire is this thing with this like huge long tradition and like law, like there's so, there's so much that's, I think a lot of people are quite protective over vampire law as well, you know, it's, mm. um, there's, there's a big community um, of people who really love vampires and um, and like it's it's amazing like they that the story of what a vampire is is like being constructed without literature even existing you know without literature being written about vampires there's this this community of, of people who are continuously like building on what a vampire is um, and for me as someone who isn't white and um you know my influences in literature and life have come from japan as well as the west um like approaching uh something like the vampire was kind of intimidating you know um it's a very european figure um i honestly like speaking very honestly i don't think i set out to do anything um I had the idea um to write I mean I set out to write about a person uh Lydia and it was kind of incidental that she was a vampire at the time it was about a year into the pandemic right and um that's when I started writing the book I had Tom my partner and my cat and you know that those are the I was going to say those are the people I was seeing every day but obviously my cat wasn't a person um but it was very 
at the time I would say that I was very isolated um it had been a year of um no music which for me is really significant so um because I'm a professional musician um at the beginning of the pandemic you know it was um I remember I had two sessions um one was for the Matrix, the recent Matrix film, and the other one was a Max Richter session. And sessions are always almost like reunions, like you see friends that you haven't seen in ages, and they're just really wonderful, um, like just lovely days. Um, and then literally next day, the music industry like shut down. It was like gone. And that's how it had been for like a year. And then I wrote, woman eating so that was the context I was writing in I didn't really have anything kind of influencing me from the outside um but yeah it was I think that was good for the book but I didn't even really think about the fact that I was writing a vampire novel I remember reading your book and thinking it was so visual in a way, it felt like I was watching a show. It feels like a fever dream, a lucid fever dream. And I remember you saying that it almost came out of you like that. Yeah. I mean, it was it was intense and quick, um, the process of writing it. It was very, it was, I really think that the, the music industry not existing for that year was a big part of it because I'm so used to um, being a part of projects and creating something with a group of people and then it being out there, you know? Um, and that had been missing from my life completely. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't even, at the time I was just like, oh, I've written a novel about this person called Lydia. It didn't even really, I mean, like sometimes I was like, oh, it's about an artist, but the fact that she was a vampire was so, um, it didn't even cross my mind. And one of the strange things about doing like, you know, um, press now and being interviewed and things like that is that it feels really weird to describe her as if she's something different from us. Um, I just felt like I'd written a friend, which sounds really tragic, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I think that's, that's um, how you feel about the best books when it's like <laughs> there's someone you know, and it's like, yeah, I feel like she's someone I know, but I don't, I hope I don't, well, maybe. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing if I knew a vampire as long as they're not going to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think after I'd finished writing, I was kind of like, um, I realized that I'd written something that crosses over into a lot of different genres um, for the first time. It wasn't something I was thinking about while I was writing. But I realized that afterwards, and I kind of uh, worried a little bit, actually, um, just because Lydia isn't the kind of vampire you would find in a vampire novel you know she's not powerful you know she's not glamorous um and I I really worried that I would anger some people you know some people who really love vampires and um who who get something from vampires that I haven't given readers with this book which is escapism and like fantasizing about being powerful and about being like untouchable you know um but with this book I know that I've taken that away 
um, like we can't really like escape into Lydia's life in that same way and like feel like omnipotent and glamorous and powerful you know she feels very real and um, yeah that did concern me in, in like a little way I just kind of thought oh no like what if I've written this vampire that's actually going to disappoint a lot of people um, but I mean that's important I think to the book though it's important that she's vulnerable and she you know it's important that she spends a lot of time like just miserable and a bit lost you know um but um the reactions that we've got so far I think like a lot of them have kind of understood that um a lot of them have understood like this isn't it's not horror it's not gothic um like you know it doesn't really it's got a vampire in it, but it doesn't have much in common with like interview with a vampire. It's probably got more in common with convenience store than, you know, and it's, you know, it's got, I hope it's got uh, not much in common with Twilight, you know, but maybe more <laughs> in common with normal people. It's like, um, yeah, the vampire thing, I think is something that people look at and think will define what the book is. But actually I think it's the other things in the book that maybe define it a bit more. Um, I'm so glad you said that, Claire, because one thing I want to make sure we, we leave everybody here with is sort of like, who is this book for? Because <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of Laney and Virginia's listeners are librarians who are just the true keepers of books and they're they're doing this amazing work, li listening to their patrons and trying to recommend books for them that are exactly what they're going to need at, at a moment in time. And personally, I think your book is for Gen Z, readers of books like My Year of Rest and Relaxation, My Sister the Serial Killer, and Ruman Alam's Leave the World Behind. And I think like you were just saying, you know, all of those books, you know, they may have a vehicle by which they're they're telling a story, but it's really a vehicle for a lot of these deeper issues, deeper conversations. And I really feel like woman eating, I really feel like woman eating captures the zeitgeist. Like, like, um, and we've talked a lot about killing Eve, but like, like you or killing Eve, where it feels like you have to read it right now so you can have this conversation with other people. And they're also for all of these people who during this pandemic have struggled with the world we're leading it, living in and need a book that entertains them while also being you know, a, a vehicle for, for which to talk about serious issues in a very straightforward way. And I think that's what your book does. That's really nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Claire, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you, Lainey and Virginia and all of the listeners for the chance to tell you a bit more about Women Eating, which is out from Harper Via on April 12th. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, thank you all librarians as well. Like the work you do is, is amazing. Um, and I say that being someone from um, a fairly deprived area um, and I really depended on our local library. Um, and I don't know what it's like in America, but in the UK, um, libraries are just getting shut down everywhere. They're so underfunded um, or they're shrinking like the one uh, in my town is shrinking because the job center, which is uh, where you go for like unemployment checks and things, um, is growing and it's growing into the library. And it's um, 
the library is just becoming a waiting room and I find that really sad um that this like building that is a place that I think you know um is meant to be like full of hope and education is kind of just being uh reduced um and but yeah I think yeah librarians are amazing for just yeah all the work that they do so thank you Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.